This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm. I am joined by Nicole Yang and Chris Grenham. And guys, we're going to do a little bit of a mailbag episode today. We got some questions from some listeners. The place where people seem to want us to start is with Jabari Parker. And I had somebody tweet at me asking whether we were ready to eat crow already. I don't know about you guys. I mean, I thought I was very impressed with Jabari Parker's debut. Tom, I know you tweeted about this, like Brad Stevens hinting at the small ball big kind of role for Jabari Parker makes a lot of sense to me. And it's something that I hadn't really thought about when they first brought him in. That being said, like, I don't think you're going to see him having, I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't say that so fast, but 15 minutes, he was five of six, 11 points, four rebounds, a little different of a lineup without Fournier, without Jalen Brown. So I don't know what his role will look like when everyone is healthy, but I don't know. I think maybe a little lower usage and a little less Jabari when everyone is healthy but that's just kind of my takeaway from the Warriors game I did feel bad because we absolutely buried him in the podcast and then he had a pretty really good- like on purpose it's not like we went out to be like let's bury this guy yeah. no 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 I know it, it wasn't intentional at all but we were harsh and he played pretty well yes he did <laughs> It is very surprising. This guy hadn't played in a really long time. He basically gets off a plane, puts on a jersey, and he played very well. Like That is, in my opinion, very surprising. The thing I will say is Celtics fans should remember that Jeff Teague scored 19 points and took 15 shots in the season opener against the Milwaukee Bucks, and look how that turned out. So one game obviously isn't going to indicate like the future really, but I guess what I should have considered when we initially recorded is that, I mean, we know Brad has the strongest affinity for playing veterans and giving them minutes over the young guys. So I should have definitely factored that into whether or not Jabari was going to get more time because I could see Brad giving him minutes because of his just typical tendencies, whether he deserves them or not. Maybe he will earn them, but Brad has just shown he loves playing anybody with six plus years of NBA experience over anyone in the one to three range. The thing that I thought was kind of funny was that I was like, well, this means that maybe the Celtics aren't 100% confident in Romeo Langford because I was looking at Jabari as like sort of a wing forward, which is what he's been for much of his career. And then Brad says, essentially, I, th- I think we're looking at using him as somewhat as a small ball five. And that's when I was like, oh, I think Jabari and the Celtics might be thinking about maybe trying to like revive his career in like a different way, like becoming this sort of small ball five, becoming this guy. Because if you think back, even to when he was in college and high school, he was getting Paul Pierce comparisons because he was such a mid-range kind of guy I mean if you're a mid-range guy and you can play like a small ball position you can stretch out a little bit to the three-point line I actually think there's like some some real value there all of that said like in terms of us eating crow I mean like Nicole said remember that Jeff Teague scored 19 in his debut and the other thing to remember is that a lot of Jabari's buckets were just kind of like opportunistic you know grabbing an offensive rebound putting it back up and in it's not like he went like five of six from three or something like that like he was getting kind of shot and they're important buckets right especially I mean especially the offensive rebound on Smart Smith 
this. Like, those are good plays. Like, do we feel like Jabari Parker is going to consistently be, you know, grabbing all these opportunistic offensive rebounds and, and, and you know, and kind of playing that way? Because if so, then absolutely, Jabari Parker is going to be a great addition. But if not, I think there is probably some room for like a little bit of kind of not beginner's luck, but you know what I mean? Like, like, a, like a, a beginner coming in and, and having like a great game in his first game as he's trying to prove something. Yeah, I think a little regression is kind of inevitable just yeah. from that start. But I really like the idea of reviving his career a little bit as that small ball big because he does not fit the mold of like a bigger wing in the modern NBA. He is, we talked about it the last time, he is very slow. His quick twitch muscles are not really firing away at all cylinders at this point in his career. For him to float around the mid-range, play that small ball big role, like he's smart enough to adjust at that point. He's been around long enough, you know. I think that makes a lot of sense for both parties because Brad also said, you know, this could be a multi-year thing. It's not just for the remainder of this season. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a great setup for him more than anything because he's been in a lot of these like Sacramento type situations where it's just a very eh, organizational situation and not a place where he can really recreate his game. So I think it's a beneficial spot for both parties, honestly. And the last thing to consider is just that the Celtics were so shorthanded. Jalen Brown, Evan Fournier, and Robert Williams were all out. That's three members of the rotation right there. Who knows? I'm sure he'll still get some minutes, but the opportunity was there on multiple fronts for him to have a good night. The opportunity was there and he very much took advantage of it and was a lot better and a lot, like a lot better than any of us were expecting. I, I don't feel bad about like, uh, like our takes on it initially because the dude had literally been, he wasn't injured. Like he was just benched in Sacramento. There was reason to believe that his, that he might be a little bit washed. Credit to Jabari and credit to the Celtics for a, a really good opener here. Nicole, like, let's uh, let's hear our first voicemail. I know we've got a, an old friend of the show. Hi, uh, Tom, Nicole, Chris, your old uh, your old friend uh, Sam Sheehan, your old uh, your old colleague Sam Sheehan, NBA. Just trying to reach out to you guys to say you guys opened up the hotline. Haven't gotten a call back from you guys about going on Geno time again. I did notice you brought um, the other Sam Sheehan on the pod. Probably a little bit of a mix up, but um, yeah, I tried to reach out to you guys um, a couple of times through um, LinkedIn. I haven't really heard back at all and uh you know we're we're coming up on the playoffs and uh coming up on a couple of a uh, couple of bills um i've got due no no i know you guys don't pay me or anything like that but um you know uh it'd probably be good to get some exposure you know get in there you know, maybe get a guest spot <laughs> i'll try and i'll try and get back in touch with you guys um at some point you know later on Later on down the line. Okay, all right. I'll uh, talk to you guys later. So not sure what the not sure what the question was there, but uh, always good to, always good to hear from our uh, from our good pal Sam Sheehan, NBA, and uh, maybe we'll have to do a, a guest spot with him soon. Sounds like he's hit some hard times there, down bad a little bit. All right, uh, Nicole, you got a you got a couple other questions here for us, I believe. This listener wants to know how sustainable is this team's success. Obviously, the Celtics are like the hottest team in basketball right now. Eight and one in April. How sustainable do you think this is? I mean, it's sustainable to a point. Like, I think it's important to keep in context, like who they've been playing against. And yeah, they could they could ride pretty high into the playoffs. What do we have, like 16 games left, 15 games left? No, I don't think they're going to go 14 and one over their next stretch. Like, yeah, this has been a pretty impressive stretch. There's going to be a little, you know, pullback to the mean at some point. 
again, sure, maybe they could grab a first round win, but they're not going to go past the second round, in my opinion. I think the regular season success is what to keep in mind here. And yeah, that's relatively sustainable. Come playoff time, they could sneak out of the first round, but I don't see anything beyond that. I definitely see like your point, And I also definitely understand the value in not overreacting to some wins, given like that most of the body of evidence we have about this team is much more negative than the last like six games or, or whatever this stretch has been. All of that said, I will say that like we spent all year being like, well, this team feels like it's better than the sum of its parts, right? Yeah. Because like, or that the sum of this team's parts are whatever, you know what I'm saying? That like, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker, like even like even, you know, some of the guys off the bench, like Rob Williams has really improved. It felt like this team was wildly underperforming. So right now when they, you know, have a, a really good net rating and they, you know, have won a bunch of games in the row, it does feel like something of like a regression to the mean, right? Where like, it's like, okay, like this this team, like, yes, they're overperforming a little bit, but I think this team is probably from a talent perspective, a lot closer to the team that we're seeing right now than it was to the team that we saw earlier in the year. I don't know how sustainable it is, but I actually like, I'm, I'm willing to start hearing the argument that this, this team could push somebody. They're a lot tougher. They're showing the resolve that Brad's been calling for all year. And the talent on the team is high enough that I, that I think that, yeah, like, I, I, don't, I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to, to wonder about at this point. I don't think anybody wants to face the Celtics in the playoffs right now. Yeah. I don't think they're an easy target here. Jason Tatum has been like unworldly seems like an exaggeration, but like he's been very good. And when Jason Tatum shoots better than 50% from the field, the team is 13 and three. Like when he's efficient, when he's in his bag, like they're going to win more often than not. And when the Celtics shoot 40% or better from three, they're 21 and five. So it's a matter really of just like, if the shots are falling, they have a pretty good chance at winning the game. Like, I think it's that simple. And then it's just when Jason Tatum might be a little bit off, it's just how they step it up. And that has to do with their resolve, like how they pick things up when it's not working for their superstar. And when the shots aren't falling from three, like how they, I mean, we've seen so many times in the past when the shots aren't falling they just don't give a shit on defense either and then it just all sort of collapses from there but I think like if Jason Tatum is playing well and if they're making shots from three yeah obviously like they have a chance and I think both of those things are possible like those aren't unreasonable asks for this team I tempered my expectations with my answer, but I 100% agree. Like a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago, I should say, I would not have been confident in saying this team is going to be a relatively tough out in the playoffs. I'm very confident that the Celtics will be a very annoying team to play against in the playoffs. Like I still think the Nets, the Sixers, the Bucks would beat them, but I think this version of this team is much tougher out. They've fallen into that solid number four seed that is going to be a really annoying playoff opponent, and they're going to be able to steal some games and push some teams. So and again, like you were saying, Gretam, I do think it's important to like still temper the expectations a bit because I mean, for a bunch of reasons, like one, this team has given themselves zero room for error. Like, you know, something like, let's say somebody twists an ankle and, and the Celtics lose like three games in a row. And all of a sudden, like they legitimately could be like back to in the play in game. Like it's very bunched up. And like, I, I don't want to say that like the Celtics are completely fixed or that they are contenders or anything like that. But if you're just looking at like the available evidence, there is a lot of reason to believe that this team has really turned things around you know and, and like could sustainably make a bit of a push that'll be really interesting to watch and i think the biggest reason is just tatum's health right is that yeah. he's just getting healthier and healthier so all right what else uh what else do you have in there nicole would you rather play the hawks or the knicks in the first round 
So right now the Celtics are tied with Atlanta for the fourth seed. Well, they would get the fifth seed because Atlanta, of course, has the tiebreaker. And the Knicks are just half a game behind them. Blasted the Celtics out of the fourth. (laughs) So uh, yeah, who would be your pick? I would take the Hawks. The Knicks in a playoff setting scare me a little bit just because Tibbs teams, sure, they might be running to the ground at that point. So that's a benefit of playing against the Knicks. But also they play every defensive possession very, very hard, which can mess with some teams a little bit. Like we've seen the Celtics at times when they come up empty on the offensive end, it relates poorly, poorly impacts the other side of the floor. I just think, well, one, I think matchup wise, I think they match up better with the Hawks. Honestly, I I know we saw Danilo Gallinari score hundred points against the Celtics earlier this year, but I just think dealing with Julius Randle and and dealing with RJ Barrett, like that would kind of stink, but it would be the defensive end. That would really be the crappy portion. And I just trust them against the Hawks a little bit more. I I don't know. I feel like I'm not giving the Hawks enough credit here because the Hawks are a good team. So I'm not just saying like they're, they're a bad team, but I just think the Celtics match up better with them. If I'm the Celtics, I don't want to face Tibbs defense in the playoffs I think I would rather see the Knicks because I if I'm the Celtics I feel very confident that I'm winning that series I like I don't really see an avenue to the Knicks beating the Celtics in like a, a seven you know best of seven right scenario. I'd like to know that I'm getting past the first round if I'm the Celtics. That said, I mean, I think the Knicks would make the Celtics feel it. Though that was a physical game they just played, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Julius Randle's a load. He's tough to deal with. And and RJ Barrett's been really good. Like the Knicks have a lot of good stuff, but I just, I don't see them taking a playoff series. The Hawks, I know what you're saying because I think the Hawks, the Celtics have like a better chance of having a relatively easy series against the Hawks. But I also see a scenario where like Trey Young gets super hot and like things get real dicey. So to me, I would, I would rather just kind of have like, even knowing that I'm, my guys are going to have to go through like a tough, legitimately like difficult to play through series, I would just take like the win. <laughs> and again, I feel like the Knicks are more likely to just kind of be the win, even though they're good. I don't want to make it sound like I'm disrespecting the Knicks, but I just, I don't think the Knicks have like the firepower the Celtics have. Yeah, I don't think it matters. I think the Celtics will advance against both of these teams. I think against the Knicks, they're going to be probably more beat up and more tired when it comes to the second round series. But if I had to choose, I think I also would say the Knicks because like Tom was alluding to Trey Young just scores like 45 plus not that that's going to happen in like seven straight games but like there's like a series that you can envision where Trey Young creates just problems for the Celtics and Clint Capella has been playing better John Collins another failed Celtics target like I'm sure people will have a field day with that if he has a good series so there's more I think there's just more reason to be a little bit nervous with the Hawks but I I definitely could also see the Celtics just sweeping the Hawks I see both sides in the end I don't think it matters I think the Celtics will advance against both of these teams and I guess in the past I would say I would be more concerned about the Knicks just because of the lack of resolve the Celtics have have shown but they they they're willing to fight now they've come back from deficits they fight through deficits so that's not really an issue right now yeah I I agree I I do think that they would beat both of these teams this version of the Celtics would beat both of these teams the physicality of the Knicks just kind of worries me. And I think there's a better chance that the Hawks just roll over and die compared to the Knicks. Yeah, I, I feel that. Um, Nicole, I, I believe we have another another voicemail from a pal. If you want to play that one, let's, uh, let's hear what he has to say. The following is a cameo recording. You have been sent a cameo recording by actor Andy Serkis, reprising his role as Colin in order to try to be the fourth mic for the Geno Time podcast. Hello, Pinsons. Is your time podcast one of best Celtics Twitter medium for talking about Celtics? No. But 
really young master now. It's always our precious birthday. No, you know time is the best podcast. Tom, Nicole, they're master. They're our precious. I would never lie to us about sex. They are grandparents. They are nasty, truthful, filthy, lying for dummy ends, pretending they were dead nice when actually bad. Um, all right, uh, Nicole, what else do we have in the DMs? Which bench player will be most important to the Celtics' playoff success? I guess it depends on what you're looking at with Evan Fournier and how he fits into this rotation, but I'm assuming there's going to be a lot of times where he's coming off the bench. I do think he is an extremely versatile scorer. He's a really versatile shooter. It's got to be Evan Fournier in my mind as long as he is coming off the bench just because he opens up so much flexibility with some of those bench lineups. Like It's it's really, really nice for guys like Jason Tatum who go out there with the Tatum and the bench units. Some of the times early in the season, you're looking at him next to like Shemi and Jeff Teague and stuff. You're like, God, this poor guy. But having Fournier out there should really open up the floor for him, which I think is going to be a difference maker. 100% agreed. Let's do this question, but without Fournier, because you're 100% right, Granite. But also like I see Fournier, like like if we cut like Fournier smart, like Campbell, like whoever is going to be that guy, yeah. that kind of like sixth guy, because the Celtics have always kind of had like five starters and then a big Right. So who do, we, who do we think it might be? I, I mean, I can't believe I am going to say this. Is it Tristan Thompson? I was going to say oh. Rob Williams, Tristan Thompson, like whoever yeah. is the sort of like Fournier, it's whoever's coming off the bench of that duo. Yeah. All love to Luke Cornett, but Tristan Thompson has been very, very good on the glass since he came back. I, I know Tom, that might be tough for you to hear, but he's, he's been really good. And he, yeah, and I think you're onto something there. Just look at some of the potential players they might have to go up against, like Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid. You're going to have to have some type of defensive resistance there because if you don't, it's over. Like, it's literally over because that just opens up so much for everyone else. Like, Rob and Tristan really are going to have to have good series. It'll be interesting to see how Brad chooses to deploy them, knowing that Brad has a tendency to pick up fouls, like whether that makes him more inclined to have him come off the bench. But that being said, Rob is objectively the better player. So it's like, do you want to get him in with the starters, sort of have the offense rocking? It'll be, I think that'll be a fascinating decision by Brad in how he uses those two guys. And they have to play well, for, in my opinion, for the Celtics to have any shot like defensively and containing some of these opponents. If the Celtics play the Sixers, do you guys think that Embiid versus Luke Cornett is going to be the new Shaq versus Chris Dudley? Yes, I do. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, you can kind of tell that Luke Cornett and Joel Embiid do not really like each other. I think they have some history, too. Like, I think there's, like, some residual beef from, like, a different game. Too. I, I, I kind would of love that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think Nicole's exactly right. I actually think that Luke Cornett could like play a real role because like Rob might get in foul trouble and then Tristan Thompson can't play the whole game with Rob in foul trouble. So I I think, I think actually having a very functional center, I mean, honestly, a lot of credit to Danny Ainge for picking up Luke Cornett. I will say there's also value in just having like not only a competent third string center, but a competent seven foot two third string center just to have that height, especially against Joel Embiid, I think will be important. 
I mean, he's also in, he's got really good defensive positioning. Like that was the first thing Brad said about him. Defensive positioning only matters so much when you're going against a behemoth like Embiid, but like it does matter. Like you are still in the way. Like if you can prevent five, six points a game because you're just in the way, like that's five or six points. Like that's not nothing in a playoff game. So there's value in being a roadblock for sure. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. All right, Nicole, I think we have uh, one more DM question. Which of your takes do you regret the most? I like that. I regret my this team stinks takes the most because I just didn't think this team had the fight in them to like respond the way they have. So I should have given this team more credit. <laughs> I don't regret any of my takes. <laughs> like there's a, I, I was a little hard on them. I regret, I regret the harsh nature of some of my takes. Look, this team was super mediocre. I don't regret any of my takes because all of my takes on the podcast, <laughs> there's takes that I've had in private that I like never, <laughs> had, never got out, but like the takes on the podcast, like, like we always kind of allowed for this team to be good next year. We were always yeah. like, okay, like maybe, maybe they should lose a bunch this year so that they get a better pick so that they can rebound next year. It's just that they started rebounding like a little early. So, I mean, I, I still maintain that next year they would have been well off if they had gotten James book night or something like that. in, in like the draft and then this team plus James book, night was just moving on like that'd be pretty good instead Danny went out and got Evan Fournier that's a that's a good move like they're probably going to be better off for it obviously Taco Fall is the best Joel Embiid defender I don't regret any of my takes <laughs> turns out Luke Cornette might be the best Joel Embiid defender uh, the one actually now that I think about it one of the takes that I do regret in approaching the trade deadline I really wanted them to punt on the trade exception until the offseason. Now in seeing them pick up Fournier and have the potential to bring him back, like that's fully what Danger Cart was talking about, what Ryan Bernardoni was talking about, just like use it so you can get something valuable, whereas you lose leverage in the offseason. And like I, I think his, I do think there's portions of his take that aged pretty well, where there was a little while there where I was just, I was very set on them punting the exception until the off season. I still think there could have been value in that, but I think I didn't give the other side of that a chance as much as I should have. I think around the trade deadline, it, it was tough to figure out who the Celtics were. So it was tough to yeah. figure out what the Celtics were going to do. You know, I thought Danny did a pretty good job of kind of evaluating and saying, I still think this team could be good in the second half of the season. And then, you know, he simplified the rotation and he brought in a player who can really help as soon as he's off health and safety protocols. Like, so yeah, I mean, I, again, there have been plenty of takes where I've been wrong. There aren't any takes this season where I'm like, man, I wish I hadn't said that. It's like, yeah. it's once where I was like, oh, they proved me wrong. And like, that's fine. But I didn't, I don't feel like I said anything outlandish that I need to like kind of roll back in private there are many takes that I said that like I'm glad didn't get out there 
Nicole, what's your worst take? I think I'm in the same boat as Tom here. Like, I don't really regret anything that I said. I don't think we got too spicy on the podcast. Maybe we got a little bit negative, but I don't think we got too The negativity spicy. was valid, yeah. And so I guess maybe I regret being that negative. That would be the only thing. But there's no specific take that I'm like, oh, I regret that because I don't know it's wrong. Like it's definitely wrong. Like if you listen back to some of our older episodes, like we will be saying things that are currently not true. They got good. Congrats to them. Like they honestly deserve a lot of credit for that. Cause it would have been really easy for the season to just kind of slide the way that we thought it was going to slide. I also do think a lot of our quote negative takes were us saying like, yeah, this team's not very good. And even if they do become somewhat good, they're still not going to do any real damage in the Eastern conference playoffs. I still stand by that take. Yes, they are good. No, they're not a contender. That might be the one where we really get tripped up, where we're just like, this team is not going to be a contender. If they go on but like but like yeah, that. And that even, I'm one. sorry, even if they do go on a, a run here, like a they go 14 and one for the next 15 games, they're not going to beat the Sixers. They're, well, I don't think they're going to beat the Bucks or the Nets. There's a small part of my head that's like, ah, the Sixers might just stink against the Celtics in the playoffs. Like they might be able to. They're not going to beat the Nets as far as I'm concerned. And if they do beat the Nets, I don't know. I'm not going to feel bad about picking the Nets over the Celtics. As of right now, I don't really see it against the Nets. And that might change on Saturday, I guess, if they play like, or Friday or whatever it is, if they play great. But like, I I don't see that. And me saying they have no chance against the Nets, like, sure, they could win one game or two games, but they're never going to be a threat to win that series, in my opinion. And I will stand by that. Yeah, if ever. I don't think that's a hot take at all. All right, guys, uh, I believe we have uh, one voicemail from good pal of the show, Mr. Positive on Twitter. Um, let's hear Let's hear what he has to say. Hi, the question for the Geno Time podcast is, should we trade Kemba this offseason? Should that be a number one priority, preferably for a power forward? Part of the reasoning is next season, if we resign Fournier, we're going to have, if you assume you slide smart over to starting point guard, you have Fournier. Romeo, Nesmith, and Pritchard with smart starting at point guard to all play at the guard position. So you really don't need Kemba next year, and to pay him $36 million or $37 million the following year is going to kill your cap sheet. If you trade him, you can actually re-sign Rob, Fournier, and Smart when their contracts expire or come due and also add another $20 million player and still be right at the luxury tax line. So it's smart for roster construction and for cap reasons. Anyhow, that's the question. I think it's a, I think it's a smart thing to do, even if you have to use a couple of first-round picks to get off them. Thank you. It's, it's kind of like just a, a general, like, what do we see Kemba's future in Boston being? I think Danny Ainge would love to trade Kemba Walker. I don't think that's like breaking news here. I think that's pretty clear just based on how much money they have tied up. To be fair to Kemba, who knows what next season will look like after he's theoretically recovered from this current knee injury. He'll have a full off season to get treatment, to rest, to prepare for the next season. Maybe that'll be different. Mr. Positive brings up a good point and like they're going to have some financial decisions to make. I think they're going to probably, given how this season has gone, sign Robert Williams to an extension because if they don't do it now and if his development continues to track in the way that it is, he's going to be expensive after next season. And I'm sure other teams will be happy to pay that price tag and they'll have the room to do so. So I think you're probably going to want to try and sign like a team-friendly deal this offseason with Rob 
They're also going to have to figure out what to do with Fournier. And then Smart becomes a free agent after next season too, right? Yes. One thing I will say about Rob, Rob's agent is like Ray Bradbury. Like he's a very experienced agent. Like I, I think they probably know, like certainly any any player would like to lock up some long-term security and like lock up one of those big contracts that can like be life-changing and generation-changing money. That said, I also think that Rob and his agent might very well look at the Celtics and be like, look, we're interested in signing something this summer, but it's not going to quite be the steep discount that you think it is. Like he's played really well this year and shown a lot of promise. And I know, you know, I mean, I know Rob has like, understandably, like a high opinion of his potential. Rob has various health issues and with him, I think it's important if he can get like a four year, I don't know, just for him to lock up that security, I feel like is, is huge. That'll be, a, that'll be a fun off-season conversation. Like, what do we think, Rob, like, a fair offer for Rob is? Yeah. Um, I, that's going to be a really fascinating conversation to have. The, the one thing I, but about Kemba, I, I did want to say, like, the interesting question is, like, okay, so, yes, the contract is tough for the Celtics. There's, like, no way around that. He's making a lot of money, and he is probably not – I don't think he's probably going to get back to a point where he's, like, a, you know, a $30 million player. That said, he is bringing them like now as he's getting healthier and as the team is kind of coming together, he is giving them something like he's giving them like, you know, some timely baskets. He's facilitating really well. And he is. I mean, I I do think it's starting to look like he's getting his quickness back. So he is kind of collapsing the defense in interesting ways that he might not have been before. Like, and I'm not saying he's going to be that player every night. But I, I do wonder if keeping Kemba for a couple of years and like, to be honest, I, I haven't like done like the cap sheet stuff to, to figure this out. But like Mr. Positive's right. Like you would have to trade draft picks, like first round draft picks to get yeah. off of this money. And I am not convinced that it's worth it to give up draft picks to get off of Kemba right now the way he's playing. That's that's a hefty price to give up for a guy who, again, isn't a $30 million player, but has been like pretty useful. What Kemba has provided of late is far better than what he was doing earlier in the season when he came back from injury. And I think he's adapting game by game to his maybe lessened skill set from what he had a couple of years ago. You know, that's probably not easy for a guy like him to do. No, he's never, I don't think, going to be in a role with the Celtics where he's worth, what, $35 million a year, $36 million a year. Yeah, the additional flexibility would be terrific. And I'm sure Danny Ainge would love that. But they're not in a position where they need to get rid of him so badly that they're willing to give away a first round pick to get off of his contract because he is providing a pretty nice role for their offense, at least in this last stretch. And I think he's, I think there's some upside there. I think the thing to remember is that a lot of times when you do that, when you give up, uh, you know, draft picks to get off of somebody, you're trying to get off like a player who is bad, you right. know? And I, I just, I, like, I'm, I don't think Kemba is that necessarily like you know he hasn't been like perfect but I I think he's I think he brings something to the team like I don't don't think he's like yeah I'm not I'm not gonna be unkind enough to start naming names of people who have been like dumped but you know what I'm trying to say yeah all right guys I think we'll leave it there thank you everybody uh for tuning in I appreciate it uh if you have any questions comments or concerns feel free to dm any one of us and we will talk to you all again soon Sugar Ray Leonard Roberto Duran Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.